Hey, you people, you're listening to High Decibels, an NYC-based live music podcast. We check out the artists we love in New York City and beyond and report back to you. I'm Marlia. And I'm James. And normally this part comes after our intro music, but we're trying something new. Uh, This is a bonus episode, a segment that we call The Internet Couldn't Tell Me, where we have a question or questions for an artist. We look it up. We can't find an answer, so the only solution is to go straight to the source. We basically go so far down the rabbit hole and get no answers that the last chance that we have to actually know the answer to the question that we're asking is just fucking ask the guy. And so that's what we did. Uh, So a couple months back, we did an episode on the rapture. This was in early December. If you've not listened to that episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. Number one, it's a great episode. Number two... Uh, Drake's on that episode number three um, the concert was amazing and number four you'll understand what the hell we're talking about Um, a question came up about a song by the band The Rapture uh, called Killing that was played during that show and I had noticed a parallel a strong similarity in the beat between that song and the beat and a song called Losing My Edge by LCD Sound System. And I knew that these two bands were tied in closely together uh, during the uh, creation of those two songs. And uh, after developing, you know, a crackpot theory of my own and was just going mad trying to figure it out, I felt like, you know what, maybe what I should do is do a little bit of do a little bit of research, a little bit of digging. And I did, in fact, find an article uh, back from 2005, a Pitchfork article. Uh, This interview was with uh, James Murphy of LCD Sound System, and it it does kind of dive into this uh, this question a bit, but it only tells one side of the story and. Number two, it doesn't address all of the uh, questions that I had surrounding this one bigger question. The internet couldn't tell me. So, what do you do? We went to the source to find out more, and we hope you enjoy this interview. We certainly learned a lot from it. We had a lot of fun sitting down with this guy. This is High Decibels sitting down with Luke Luke Jenner Jenner of of the the Rapture. Rapture. This is High Decibels. Music recaps in New York City and beyond. Uh, we're here with Luke Jenner from The Rapture. Thanks so much. Hi. I'm coming out on this kind of rainy, crappy day. Um, you were just yeah. going to give a quick overview. Well, we just wanted to say that we actually really appreciate that you're giving us the time for this. Uh, you know, we kind of reached out just on a whim, shot our shot, and sure. uh, we've we've done it before. And you're honestly the only one that's ever been nice enough to say, "Sure, we can chat." Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so if you know Matt and Kim, put in a good word for us, because that was the first people that we shot to, I'll and they totally the, ignored us. I'll tell all the industry bigwigs to I appreciate it. Yes. I'll, I'll send a mass email. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. At the next yeah. meeting. Yeah. So okay, so this whole thing came up. I messaged you because, and this will probably be like the most that I talk, but I kind of went down the rabbit hole with these two particular songs. I was at your show in December, yeah. and you guys played "Killing." Yeah. And. Uh, 
when you played that, I was like, oh, you know, I, and I guess I didn't pick up on it, but that beat sounds so much like Losing My Edge. And I was like, I wonder how that happened. My first uh, assumption was like it was sort of like that uh, King Solomon biblical story with the baby and both want half, and then King Solomon. You ever hear the story before? Keep going. King Carl Solomon says, well, cut the baby in half. You know what I'm saying? And then and of, what actually happens is like the real mom was like, no, just let her have the baby. But I was like, well, maybe the two of these guys came up with this beat. And then they were like, well, we'll just cut it in half. You take yours, I'll take mine, and we'll go our separate ways. But then I was like, uh, maybe I should do a little bit of research. And I found like one article in 2005 from, it was a pitchfork article, of course, James Murphy, who had said, oh, uh, the beat from Losing My Edge came from a song called Change from Killing Joke. And he said the beat for uh, Killing came from Do the Do by this band called um, a... Um, oh, should I can't remember the name of the certain band ratio. now? Yeah, Certain Ratio. Right. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, okay, number one, that's only one half of the story because there's your side of the story and number two it doesn't really explain the lyrics and after having kind of read the dfa bits in um that book uh meet me in the me bathroom, bathroom it seemed like a pretty fraught time so i was just kind yeah, of like, like what's yeah. really going on with those two songs what is your story well, yeah well there's a lot in there i mean that dfa time was just like me and james sort of became one person and we shared everything like when he wasn't sleeping in his bed I was sleep I didn't have a place to live so I went and stayed at his house after we kind of had a nasty breakup we met one time at a restaurant and he gave me all these like notebooks that I left at his house and we were supposed to like take over the world together and we kind of did but in a it didn't I don't know I mean we both grew up in really dysfunctional houses and recreated all that stuff and like I've spent the last 10 years of my life trying to put that together and create like healthy work environment. I mean, just before we came over here, I was just saying how I miss, I miss hanging out with James, you know? Um, it's not like I don't see him. I do see him, and it's it's totally friendly and casual. It's not like, it's like, fuck you, man. But like, you know, I think we were really super close. I mean, LCD started their band to open for the Rapture because they were producing that song, Killing. And he's like, there's no other band that sounds like you, and you guys, are really good, we, but you, there needs to be at least one other band that's kind of, and you know, so that was LCD. And he was like, who should I get in my band? And I was like, well, there's this guy, Tyler Pope, who's like, you know, world's greatest musician. If you get him as your bass player, then you'll be fine, you, you know? And so I did that. I don't, we were just really close. We kind of, we shared a lot of ideas. He was also the first person I met who had the identical music taste to me. At the time, like, people weren't into, you know, Killing Joke or A Certain Ratio or a lot of things that are very commonplace now. Like now you have like the lot radio and there's all these indie kids that are into like disco and house music and stuff. But at the time there was like zero indie kids that were into that. It was really split down the middle. Like, you know, um, I mean, LCD and Rapture is really collage of Influences. Have you ever read that book, uh, Retromania by Simon Reynolds? Do you, do you know Simon Reynolds? Mm, it's kind of no, like the most that. important British journalist. But he wrote this, he's interviewed in like every BBC documentary. And he used to come to Plant Bar where I was a bartender mm. and James put in the sound system. And all, during that time, we all hung out there. We all went to the same therapist, same haircut place. 
same bar. Like we didn't talk to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So you're just sharing each other's ideas. And as yeah. it turns out, you're all sort of drawing from the same thing. So you mentioned the kind of elite record store nerd. I feel like that's a little bit easier to be these days with streaming services, but it must have been real interesting to meet like a kindred spirit yeah, in that was, sense back then. Yeah, it was a battleground. I mean, like it was really people. That's the thing that you don't get anymore is like people really uh, fought each other over music. Now everyone's like, oh, I like everything. And you can just listen to whatever you want immediately. But you had to like invest actual money and time. You got a record and you had to like defend it. Mm -hmm. And you were like, this is my record. And like, if you don't like it, fuck you. Like, you know, this is my, this is mine. And James is really all about that. Like he's very hyper-defined, like everything is like, I wear these tennis shoes and I go to this place. Like if you go to his, you know, wine bar now, like everything is laser specific. Like I like this kind of bread in this way. It has to be in this dish. It has to be six inches, you know, like mm -hmm. everything is, so everything is kind of an extension of that. So do you feel like you have an aspect of that as well in your own personality? Do you feel like you're a little bit more free? James broke me in a sense because he was more controlling than I was. And he was the first person I met who I couldn't bulldoze in my life. And it really kind of cracked me in a way because I was just like, this guy, everything I hate about what this guy is what I do to other people all the time. Uh-huh. Almost like looking into a more extreme mirror. We were so much of a mirror for each other that we just like, you know, we really, we got enmeshed, like, and then when we pulled apart, we, like, our bodies ripped each other's flesh, and, you know, it was, like, really painful, like, so, and that's what happens in enmeshment. That's just the way it's, like, set up, you know? I mean, that's what happens in dysfunctional families or whatever, so it's, like, but, um, yeah. So going back to those lyrics in Killing, were they about him? I mean, no, I mean, here's what happens in dysfunctional family, like, in a workplace environment, although DFA is, you know, it's loosely a workplace environment because it's all just us drinking a lot and doing drugs and making records and listening, to, you know, having going to the same bar. But like, like my wife, at some point was just like, "All your songs are about your mom," and I was like, "Yeah, that's true." And she's like, "You should write me a song." So I like wrote her a song, but it took me many years to do that and. You know, me and James, when we fought, like, we weren't even fighting each other. We were, like, fighting each other's parents with, uh, you know what I mean? It was, uh -huh. like, that's what happens is, like, you run away from where you grow up, and then you find people that mirror, like, the person that hurt you the most, and then you, like, so we weren't, in a way, like, we were super talking to each other and also just not talking to each other at all. So, like, who was the song about then? Killing? Yeah. I mean, House of Jealous Lovers is about growing up in a really dysfunctional house and my parents, like, not, like, my mom not trusting men and just being, feeling this jealous intensity, which was very present at DFA. We were really into the Neptunes and Timberland. So, like, um, I remember Killing was really almost like an homage to the Neptunes at the time. And like we met the Neptunes in Timberland, and they were super into that song because we made it for them. Okay. And they were like, "Oh, cool! Like this, this song is great." And we're like, "That's cool because we made it for you, you know?" Because you sound so mad in that song. I was really mad. I mean, I used to wake up every day for a year and watch uh, "Don't Look Back," that Bob Dylan documentary. Sure. And you know, there's a part, the kind of big moment. Well, there's two big moments. Like one is 
when he's like, fuck you, Mr. Time Magazine, man. Like, you don't know me. Mm. And the other one is where he goes after Donovan, like, where Donovan is, like, playing, like, you know, some Bob Dylan kind of ripoff thing. And then he just gets a guitar and he plays It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, and he just stares at him the whole time. And he's just, like, super mean. And I was really into, like, Johnny Lydon. Johnny, like, Metal Box, PIL, kind of, like, it was sort of like, but that sort of started in San Francisco. Like, San Francisco bands, you know, before we got out to New York, like, it was like, the, everyone had dyed black hair and wore stay pressed pants and was like, you got to the club and you didn't talk to each other. And you vibed each other out and you were super mean to everybody. And whoever could be the meanest, that, they were the coolest. Like, that's how you, like, won. And so, like, I was just into, like, these hyper-intelligent, very sharp, very precise. And James loved that. Like, the first show he saw us play, like, I just was unhappy with the way things were going, so I just kicked over everything. I, like, knocked over. I jumped into Vito's drum kit after the second song. I kicked over. I just destroyed everything. And he was like, James was like, yeah, uh -huh. great. Like, you know? I mean, that's very rock and roll of you, so <laughs> how could you not like that? Um, yeah, and, you know, at the time, everything was, like, hyper polite. Mm -hmm. It was kind of, like, Big Beat and, you know, Tortoise and these kind of, like, this Chicago sound of kind of, like, very polite, like, Kraut Rock was popular, but in a different kind of light. James just liked how angry I was. And he used to try to make me angrier in the studio. And he would be like, he would get me really fucking wound up and then be like, cool, go go sing now. That's so like Scorsese of him. Yeah, which, you know. Almost like that movie Whiplash. Yeah, so like Killing is really like, just James getting me like, he'd be like, you're really hungover and you're super emotional, great. Like, let's record, like, you know. Killing, I had this tape of the two, like, when I moved to, um, Killing, that song really reminds me of, I lived on 28th Street in a, like, the 30th floor of this rent-controlled place and it was $300 a month, I had my own room, and it wow. was like, and we lived next to all these poor people and like, that, and, We'd go up on the roof, but it was right next to Bellevue. So all night I would hear the sirens, like taking people to like the crazy house, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had a tape that had Miles Davis on the corner on one side, and the other side it was like sort of all the early Black Flag singles. So I feel like, you know, and then I was also really into kind of these Jimi Hendrix references. Like a lot of early Rapture songs just have, you probably wouldn't pick up on it, but there's tons of weird Jimi Hendrix things in there. Jimmy so, because like I always, the way that I tend to approach things, I think James does too, but it's like, you know, like The Cure is really into Jimi Hendrix. So it's like, I like The Cure, but you can't, if you just sound like The Cure, then The Cure won't like you. But if you sound like Jimi Hendrix and some other stuff, then The Cure will like you. That was like something advice I always give to younger kids is it's like, pick your favorite band and don't sound like them. Sound like something, like figure out a few steps back and then. So like distilling that, it sounds like maybe it was just sort of like amalgamation of like frustration with James and frustration with a certain scene and like frustration with the expectations that were being placed upon you where you I were mean, like developing a sound. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I'm sure I mean, there's, you know, James was more just like poking me. It wasn't like I was mad at him. It was more like, like my mom was suicidal at the time. So uh -huh. like I was mad at her, like I wanted her to not die. And she was actually ended up being homeless. Um, you know, at some point I got in that house where I lived with the, by Bellevue, there was like someone, like a, a social worker called me once and was just like, probably around the time I was writing that song and was just like, 
you know, we have your mom like in a homeless shelter and she doesn't have her shoes on and like, you know, she's in bad shape. And, you know, you got to call back and I tried to call back and I couldn't get a hold of her and my sister finally got a hold of somebody. So there's just like a lot of family drama going on at the time. Uh -huh. But I think if it's in probably mid 20s or early 20s, so it's not, people in their early 20s are generally not super hyper conscious of like how their family, how their childhood affected them. Mm -hmm. It just feels like you just feel ecstatic because you're running away and like you're in the big city and like you're far away and like there's all these new people. Like meeting James was such a rush because it was like, it's like I totally get you and I have all these records. And back then it was like meeting someone who had, like he was just amazed that I had those records. And that was a thing. You could become friends with someone by just having records. Right. Because they were hard to get. Right, right. Wow, that just sounds like a very, I don't know, exciting, but also like, in certain time do you know what i mean just kind of like you just don't know what's going to happen next do you know I, I just i don't know it's just like really fascinating to me but you would say like overall though his explanation of where the beats came from like that's pretty much right well the beats are like you know i mean <clears throat> beats are not that special i mean beats are special but it's like the only thing that changes in music is the beats like the melodies are the same since like medieval times or something and mm -hmm. like you just put a new beat on it, and that's what yeah. music is but like melody that's why melody is kind of like eternal and you know like people consider you know, like paul mccartney or brian wilson to be kind of like melodic geniuses of their time and they sort of win over everybody else just because melody lasts forever in okay a way. and you could just change you just change the background Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So can I, um, can we ask you some other stuff? Also, sorry. Yeah. But Good. I just want to add this in it. Like sure. killing was also very much kind of like a beastie boys thing reference yeah, in a way. Yeah. Okay. This part where it just goes like, Oh, like, it, you know, it's very like beastie boys and we were all like super into the beastie boys and they like, they were one of the only bands that kind of felt like a New York, they were doing something interesting or new with punk in a way. So it's, uh, what I always found really interesting about uh, a lot of your interviews, James Murphy's the same way, and a lot of other people kind of from that era, is you guys sort of are very open about your influences and very much wear them on your sleeve. You're not afraid to say that, yeah, this song was, you know, written specifically because I had this band in mind and I wanted to make a, a song that they would like. Um, do you still see that these days with uh, modern bands, or do you think that like a sort of modern music scene, everybody's trying to hide that? Um, I don't think there are any bands anymore. Like, even the bands are just, you know, like they Ableton changed the world to the point where you know a lot of modern bands are just like some someone on d made the whole record by themselves and then they get their friends to like play with them it's as opposed to like which is kind of how LCD was I mean there wasn't Ableton but James made a lot of record by himself and then they didn't even know if they were gonna ever play live and he's like a studio wizard but like I mean the rapture is like we were a band like we you know we wrote songs together sometimes i wrote songs by myself and brought them in or other times we would just play mm -hmm. but very few lcd sound system songs are like just them playing in a room and then you know it's like james very carefully constructing everything like i'm gonna take the beat from here and this mm -hmm. like you know there's that song jamaica running we heard that you know and it's like it just took the whole thing like so I don't know. I mean, bands like the idea of a band is so different now. I think than it than ever. So we wanted to ask you too, like about a couple of shows that we went to. I wanted to ask you about 
my first time ever seeing your band and James wanted to ask you about his first time and I think you'll probably remember these two shows at least you'll remember his but the first time I saw you uh was accidental it was mid-2000s and it was early on uh in the time of the uh, Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium down in Coney Island, and you opened for Daft, Daft Punk. Punk. Yeah. What was, what was that like? I mean, I think after that, I kind of wanted to take a break from music because you know, previously we had gone on tour with The Cure, and that's like my favorite mm. band. And then Daft Punk asked to go to go on tour, and we just thought they were like the coolest. So you know. Um, and he was sort of like, well, what else am I supposed to do? I think that year, like, David Bowie called me and he was like, can you come and, like, what? meet me at my concert and, like, because I want to talk to you about your music? And I was like, what the fuck is going on? So then, yeah, I mean, it kind of wrecked me on music. I mean, we, we did a whole tour with them. We played with them at, like, Red Rocks and we played with them at All Over. And, uh, I mean, it was also just a really weird time. I think, in a way, for me, that was the end of the original meet me in the bathroom period, where it's kind of like, okay, Rapture opens for Daft Punk at a baseball stadium. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kind of like, all where right, like go? we're not in this, you know, this has gotten to a whole other thing, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, ask about your first uh, show. Yeah, so I actually, my first ever time seeing the Rapture was your reunion show at Music Hall of Williamsburg. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, With Tara, Tara was the same. Yeah, uh, I actually do remember seeing you there <laughs> that night. Um, I mean, amazing show. Uh, you know, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm 27. I didn't really discover the Rapture until about 2015, or uh, 2015, right around right. the time when, uh, you know, the, the, you sort of uh, had your hiatus there. So I honestly never thought I'd have the opportunity to see you guys. And uh, I absolutely jumped on it the second that I saw that you had announced that show. So, I mean, from my perspective in the crowd, that show was absolute pandemonium. Um, I don't know. I, I'd love to hear what your perspective was up on stage, whether the crowd lived up to expectations and how that felt to play again like with that band for the first time in five years. The first, the first time, that first show. I mean, I threw up that show. Probably really? most people don't know, but I walked off stage and I barfed. I did not a clue. I had no idea. And they kind of covered for me. I was so... I mean, it was like a very magical night. It just felt like so much love coming back, and there was so much tension, um, in nice tension. Mm-hmm. Music Hall is like a really magical place for us, and it was very intentional to play there. Like, we could have played a bigger place or something else, but Vice really felt good about there. Uh, it's one of my favorite venues. Another was another one of my favorite venues got torn down. This place called the Astoria in London. There's a place called the Metro in Chicago that's really special. But music hall, I tend to like places with balconies. Mm-hmm. And what I remember about that show, I think just starting the show and feeling like so high from the amount of energy coming back off the audience. Like people don't realize like the only time I've ever really experienced it was in sports when I was a kid. Like my first dream was to be a baseball player and mm-hmm. I was a pitcher. And sometimes you start the game as a pitcher and you're so high from the adrenaline that you don't, you're not like in your body and you're just like, Okay, I'm like I'm doing stuff like sure. I'm singing or I'm playing guitar, but I'm not. I'm kind of here. And it wow. took me a minute to just get back into where I was, and then I threw up, and then uh, and then I was okay. And I remember, I mean, it's just weird. I mean, I've known Vito since I, the drummer since I was nine, and I hadn't talked to him in a really long time. 
And he's not always super chatty, so connecting to Vito is really, it was the first time that I connected to him that deeply for years, because he gives a lot when he drums, and it was just something I kind of completely forgot about. I was just like, oh, this other thing happens. Also, I just, you know, I wanted to be a dad, like, and I wanted to, I got to the point where, you know, we played with Daft Punk and The Cure and all this stuff, and then I was surrounded by all these people, and I didn't know if they liked me or not, and I didn't know if I liked me or not. The answer was I didn't like myself, so I wanted to go backwards. So it was a really interesting perspective to have. Like, even though I threw up and I felt all of these things, like, I generally had, it was the first time I had experience being on a stage and really liking myself. I don't even know how to really put that across, but it's sort of like, almost like returning from the dead or something. Like, wow. I didn't feel like I, I don't know. Like, I didn't, well, first of all, I didn't know I didn't like myself, and then I didn't understand. I don't know. So, like, a lot of this is a very much a discovery process for me, coming back and, like, being like, okay, well, I'm at the another festival again, or I'm doing this show again, or I'm doing this thing, but it's like, well, what does it mean to me now? That's like a lot of the questions. I know that's not was only your asking, no, no, but no. that's like a lot of the questions I have for myself now. Like, how do I create? What does this mean? Mm -hmm. Wow, um, it's actually pretty cool that you mentioned the music hall because honestly, the next question that we were thinking of, like, what is it about music hall? Like, why that specific place to say we have been gone for five years? This is where we're going to do the show, and not to mention the last leg of your tour, which is the show that we had caught in December. December. Yeah, yeah. I st I still call it North Six snob. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we played our last show at music hall. Mm. I walked off stage and I didn't say goodbye to anybody. I had a leather bag on the side of the stage with like a sweater in it. And before, while they were playing How Deep Is Your Love, I like stopped playing. I just walked off stage, I took my bag and I just went home. Wow. And I left the venue before anybody, I could hear them playing the end of that song. And I got in a car and I just went home and I felt like ecstatic because I was like, I'm free, like mm -hmm. that's it. <laughs> so um, right. what else do I want to ask you? Um, oh, yeah, I know what I wanted to ask you. Well, okay, so first I heard this story. It's about Vito, actually. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but maybe, uh, maybe you can ask him for me. So I was talking to somebody random about the fact that this was happening, and I was like, I don't know if you know this band or, or, or whatever. She's like, oh, no, I know them. She's like, I moved here in, uh, was it 2000 or something? And she tells me that she was living somewhere like around Red Hook or whatever, and happenstance someone gave her this CD and she's like what is this they're like oh it's this band The Rapture you should listen to it it was like out of the races I think and um, so uh, she goes to this record store that was called Rocks in Your Head which I don't remember it but um, you know she had the disc man because that's what we used back then and the guy behind the counter was like oh what are you, what are you listening to and she was like oh it's this uh, this band The Rapture or whatever and he was like oh how do you that. like it <laughs> yeah She's like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, so he's like, and do you think that really happened? Did he ever? For sure. What a weird he, coincidence, he though. I mean, not really. I don't know. I mean, Vito definitely worked at Rocks in Your Head, and that probably happened, yeah. <laughs> what, like, of all things, though, that she could have had in her ears at the time, you know? I mean, that was the last time we had jobs, you know? Like, I worked at a bar, Vito worked at Rocks in Your Head, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I worked at a lot of record stores, too, but I don't, I didn't have that particular experience. Just, it just seems so weird to me, but, like, um, on the sort of heels of that, you know, I lived here at that time, 
Um, I was more immersed in uh, the theater world at the time. So just, you know, doing bad plays at Theater for the New City and that kind of thing. So just kind of like jogging on the peripheral of what was going on. Uh, I'd go go dance at a couple motherfucker parties or whatever. Justin D. It was Georgie that was actually the one that picked me up. Um, when I was dancing at some somewhere else yeah. and uh, rest in peace and uh, yeah so I had but but I didn't really get a sense of oh wow something is happening in New York that really hasn't happened in the music scene since probably like the 80s is like when when did you know did did you know or did you not know until in hindsight like that something like you knew you saw bands that you knew coming up but did you know that like this was going to be a meaningful time, like worthy of a whole book no, I mean, being written about? Yeah, it? and I mean, I'm trying to make it happen again right now, actually. Um, and it, we, it was very intentional the first time. I mean, I, I mean, just being like a music historian, and you know, when I grew up in the era of sort of uh, Tom York and Kurt Cobain, it was like the reason why those bands were more successful is those guys just knew more about music than everybody else, and they understood things about. And I just watched every documentary about music and like, so there's different eras and that was always my goal is to be part of an era. And like, I grew up, you know, there was like Seattle. That was the last one before Meet Me in the Bathroom was sort of Seattle, right? right? But in the 60s you had like, you know, San Francisco and um, you know, British, you have these different times and like, that was always my goal. I didn't want to be like part of just like a standalone artist. I wanted to be, all my favorite artists came out of some I moved here because I read the book Please Kill Me you know so um and then Meet Me in the Bathroom is kind of like the full circle from that and then like somebody I went to high school with niece read that and then like trying to get them an internship at the lot radio so it's kind of like I don't know it was all very intentional and we talked about it a lot like you know me and James and whatever it's just like okay we're gonna like create this thing and then the strokes came along and just like made it go way faster um, and got everybody record deals. But you know, other than the strokes, like all those other bands like the IES and Animal Collective and all these Gang Gang Dance and the Interpol, they were all like around and everybody knew each other. Yeah. So it was just, it, okay, I see. So because it was intentional, you kind of like felt it as it was happening. Like you're like, I'm I doing moved here to, with the intention yeah. of making that because I had read wow. enough books and I, I understood the architecture of it. Uh huh. Wow, that's awesome. I had no idea. I thought you just like accidentally fell into it. Nobody accidentally falls in the right into place anything. at the like right time. Like if you study art, I mean, my mom's like an art therapist and like art history is full of that, you know? Uh-huh. It's like Picasso's hanging out with, you know, in some particular neighborhood in Paris with all the other artists that you've heard of, you know, like yeah. Dolly and all these people or like different literary scenes or these like, that's what's interesting about art. Art is made to be shared and it's not finished until it's shared. So the real art is not making art, it's community. It's mm-hmm. like, how do you, and there's very few people that understand that or know how to do it. And that's why it doesn't happen very often. Because it's like most people are so focused on, oh, I have to express myself or whatever. Like, that's cool. You should have something to bring to the party, almost like a potluck. But that's not the art. The art is like the big picture. So with what you're seeing when you said you're trying to create that now, like. It's, it's happening now. Is, 
Can you talk more about that? That's actually <laughs> that's actually perfect because like the question that I wanted to ask is how keyed are you into? And clearly you're very keyed into like the current New York scene. So what are you seeing with that? And what are some bands that you particularly like and that we should keep an eye on? Because we have our favorites I'm that are local I'm bands. I'm trying to create like another DFA again. Right. So I have this record label called Monono. Me and Tara have a band called Tandem Jump. Mm-hmm. And she's an amazing songwriter and singer and person, human being, force of life. Mm. Um, and then uh, there's this band, CD Films. I saw you with them. And I'm trying to like get build the first few things. I mean, DFA was started with kind of like LCD and the Rapture, and then it kind of took off from there. Mm. And so I'm just, you know, New York's an idea, it's not a place. And you know, everyone moves here with the intention of being, that's what I learned from reading Please Kill Me. It's just like, like, and I'm meeting David Byrne, like I worked with David Byrne for four years doing this like Onyabor project, wow. William Onyabor thing. And you know, the idea of being a downtown artist and he talks about it a lot, but it's like, you just, on that mi- book, How Music Works, but it's like, and he has a whole thing about how to create a scene in there actually, but it's like, you just. I know there was like a whole. Okay, cool. cool. Blueprint too. So so. Yeah, you like. I mean, the whole downtown New York thing is like you don't need any skills. You just come here and then, you try everything. Like David Byrne wanted to be a painter. He didn't want to be a songwriter. He's mm. like, I'm gonna move to New York and be a painter. And he came and he did some paintings and he was like, I'm kind of okay at this, but I'm actually really good at songwriting or. You know, or or like there was all these filmmakers. Like there's a really good documentary about all the filmmakers on the Lower East Side. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, you know, it's like a racer head and all those things were made in the Lower East Side. But the, and Sonic Youth was kind of involved in that. So it's like, you just come to New York and we will, it's almost like it's a school. New York is the best school in the world. I like that. It's really cool. Got one? Well, yeah, I was just wondering like, um, I'm cur- if you don't mind me asking, I'm, I'm curious when you talk about um, you know, creating this new scene. And I find that you can often find a lot of, like I just saw this band last Friday and what, and, and I, they're called Ripe. And uh, one of the fans in the audience says, you know what I like so much about them is they're so hungry. Do you know what I'm saying? They'll just do anything. They're like just going around the country and doing whatever they have to do. And you often find that in people just starting out in youth. So uh, my question is, is how do you feel about your own kids being involved in something like this in this scene if that's what they wanted to well, do my, would you encourage I mean, or I discourage have one kid. he's oh, okay. 13 you know he and likes anime and uh, video games and okay. dungeons and dragons okay <laughs> okay gotcha so he's he's not uh, doing music or whatever i mean my job is to make him not hate music right like he's so musical and would make an amazing musician if he wanted to be one but like it is not it's kind of none of my business like, uh-huh. he's like surrounded by guitars and songwriters like tara and people come over people like he's around art 24 7 but like i mean my mom was painting all the time and gardening yeah. and you know just being creative so she was like my teacher like i learned how to be creative from her she was really intuitive and there was all these like art books all over the house she never said like look at this book by this performance artist or check this thing out like but it was just, there was just stacks of books around and like, you just, you know, I'm always playing music. It's just around. And you don't even think about it. Like, I didn't understand. I grew up with a super weird art mom and I just thought everyone had a weird art mom. 
right, who would right. disappear for two weeks into the garage and come out covered in oil paints. I just thought that was like normal. That's just what mom, what do you mean your mom doesn't do that? Like, I didn't get it. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, he still isn't out in the world enough to really, and people are going to be like, hey, like, you know, his friends, he came home a couple years ago and he's like, my friends find out you're in a band and they like don't believe that you're in a band. Like, <laughs> you're like just a normal guy believe- to them. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and I think there is a certain kind, it's kind of traumatic in a way. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, art is traumatic in a way. I just want to, my main goal is to just like, I just don't want to hurt my kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I stopped playing music for so long and, and let go of this ambition to sort of punish everybody from some, some sort of sports. I mean, early DFA, me and James, like our whole approach is just like super sports. James is into like ultimate fighting. Like he went to like Las Vegas to watch his favorite fighters beat the fucking Does he fight? Like, does he like do Yeah, he studied, a- him and Vito studied with the Gracie family who are like the they're like the teachers of all the crazy ultimate fighters and like one of them came to dfa to like train them how to fight every day oh wow and like you know like and james's dad was almost a professional football player and james is a big dude like he kind of carries himself and he's like he likes to talk like kind of soft and stuff but he's a fucking monster like he would beat the crap out of you if you like i saw him throw someone down the stairs once in iceland when he used to be our sound guy It's the Wait, only why? time I've ever seen him because he was our sound guy for a couple of years. Like, and we went to Iceland and like, I don't know. Like, he's just not really a violent dude. But like, if you mess with him, he would kill you with his bare hands. Like, no problem. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Oh, you know what? To that point, didn't you want to? Didn't you kind of have a sports question? I, I do because even though we're a music podcast, my other the only other thing that I obsess over is sports. So I'll I'm try a, and I'm a baseball. Baseball, my first love, then music, then like That's recovery. exactly what I was going to ask. So I'm, I'm assuming the Padres are your team. I mean, it's I've been so detached. I mean, I grew up in the era of Tony Gwynn. Uh-huh. Like my classic boilerplate statement about San Diego is there's only two rules in San Diego. The first one is don't say anything bad about Tony Gwynn, and the second one doesn't matter. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so. You know, the- he's like a god in uh-huh. San Diego. And I met him when I was a kid at, like, baseball camp. And, wow. like, you know, I grew up in the era when he was, like, loved by everybody. And I went to the Padre game where Steve Garvey hit the home run. It, like, wow. landed 10 rows away from me. And it was the most, like, ecstatic that I ever felt in my up until that point. Mm. I was really into, like, the Cardinals when I was a kid when they were, like, really good. Mm. I watched a documentary about them the other day. But, like, kind of. Tommy Her, Ozzie Smith era, Willie McGee, Cardinals, you know, and because I was like a small, fast guy who I wasn't like a power hitting, but mm. I, I still play, like I played softball on Sunday with a bunch of other music dorks, um, and I lo- that's like a really important, and I play baseball video games every day. It's not a casual. No, that's that's a full blown obsession for I you too. I read huh? about it like a lot, you know. <laughs> that's awesome. So okay, then, so what do you feel about the big topic of the day, the Astros cheating scandal? Well. I mean, pitchers and catchers just, you know, got to... I just, the Astros, I honestly feel... I mean, because the third part of my life is really recovery mm-hmm. and kind of compassion, like, trying to be... Going from being... It's the antithesis of sports. Like, sports is like a dogfight. The best sports article I ever read is um, this Malcolm Gladwell article about him comparing uh, uh, football to dog f- and dogfighting. Mm. Have you ever read that before? No, it's I don't know this Unbelievably one. good. I'll and it like, out. it just, like, all I wanted to do, and it kind of ties into masculinity, like, I really want to rescue dudes because, like, dudes are allowed to feel one thing and 
two things is like sexuality and anger and usually anger is sexuality mm. and it's like it's expressed in sports like these dudes i play sports with it's like or just dudes in general like they're just so being a guy sucks like you know <laughs> yeah. so it's like in sports is like the only safe place it's the only therapy that most dudes have it's like mm. well there's your options if you feel emotional go hit something mm. with the bat like you know go go lift things go, yeah go pump some iron but <laughs> I I, know you know it. the astros thing is really i honestly just kind of feel sad for them it's like these guys like bregman and altuve and these it's like take the thing you love the most win get to the highest level win world series like and then just completely fuck it up forever yeah have it taken to totally point where away it's like if if they go to a bar and 40 years someone will be like cheater like forever like there is no there's no they're screwed mm. forever i'm a pretty vindictive fan so i'm already i already got <laughs> them coming yankees so yeah, i already yeah, i've yeah, already yankees, circled those games in september it's gonna be brutal i know i intend to be yankees brutal fans are like not nice you know like in <laughs> no just, just like normally but this is like <laughs> we are not and, and i'm pissed now because i feel like we got robbed three years in a row and nobody wants to admit that because it's I, the yankees that got i robbed. really love being a fan of New York baseball because it's like, you know, I grew up watching the Dodgers just mm. like kill us every year. Mm. And like, you can't, how do you compete with the payroll? And then, you know, I showed up in the Jeter, Jeter era Yankees and it was just like, it's just unbelievable uh -huh. to be in a baseball town like that. I think about the fifties, like having the, the, the Dodgers, the giants and the Yankees winning world series every year in the fifties, like 10 years in a row. It's incredible. Like to, and to be in baseball town and also this neighborhood, like in, in, um, Greenwood Cemetery is where the first guy threw a curveball is mm -hmm. and like all the all the, you know what I mean it's like baseball is Brooklyn mm. and it's and or just New York in general and just the history is so much here like I don't know I, do, I love all that stuff and I love history and I love being around baseball I feel like it's just in the air everywhere mm. it's really cool in San Diego it's like it's not when you go to a Yankees game people know what's going on oh yeah when you go to a game in the Padres like they're thinking about their hot dog they're gonna get some notch like they're walking around they're having a conversation they don't if somebody bunts somebody over they don't notice mm. or the little things they don't understand the, the counts or they don't know what's going on mm. it's like they're at the park you know like but i remember going to yankee Stadium for the first time and being like just it's church you know it's like people know what's happening mm. and that's yeah. cool like as a baseball fan that's really cool yeah it's sort of that era right now where baseball's kind of coming back especially because all our other teams suck and at I, least we got some something to root for with the Yankees, and I guess a bit the Mets. I think the the Astros is the best thing that could happen to baseball because it's just PR. Like you know, mm. you you have to keep up with, you know, NFL took over when the because NFL films. You ever get into studying NFL films? That like I love the because they just like they marketed better than mm. baseball, and it took over for baseball. And then like basketball is more popular just because they made a nicer video and mm. has better clips. It's more violent. So whatever. So but yeah, baseball. I don't know. I love baseball. That's great. See, <laughs> yeah. see, people do want to hear about sports. She always fights. You made it. You made an analogy to uh, to church, and uh, I'm curious as to like what your thoughts are on like the modern sort of dance music EDM scene. Um, like we go to Avant Gardner now and then. I don't know once every couple months or something like that maybe you more frequently and people are so very much into it and i don't think it's just about the drugs like especially like i know that's a part of it yeah but i really feel like especially if you go to like brooklyn mirage in the summer the outdoor part is just like so well designed and it's just i don't know the atmosphere it still seems to be kind of going strong as much as it's been 
uh, I don't know, I want to say like, I don't think this is a word, but corporatized, because like I'm an older person. So I mean, to me, a rave is like you go to a field and there's no tickets or anything and you show yeah. up and then maybe yeah. it gets shut down. But um, I feel like the sort of spirit is there, even though there is like ticketing and that sort of thing. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts now on like where EDM is right now? I mean, EDM is so weird. Did you read that book, The Underground is Massive, that came about the history of U.S. dance music culture? No, so, I mean, I'm going to write down every single book that you have recommended yeah. to me. See, I, this I just, time. my dad's so a university professor, so I just, that's I how need I... To, I need to, I, I, absolutely, but go on. But, you know, the U.S. U, U.S. and dance music is really weird. Like, have you ever spent any time in dance music culture in Europe? Um, like very briefly in London, but not enough to where I like got, I was only there for like a few weeks. So I didn't really get a strong sense of it. It's much more analogous to like records. It's more, much more analogous to like how indie kids are just into like every band and they know the history of stuff and they're like fans of stuff. And it's, and it's on a parallel. I mean, for me, DFA is really essentially like a European label and our idea of dance music is very much in line with kind of. British journalism and the way that they write about it like the thing that really lacks in uh, electronic dance music in the US is there's just no writing about it in a in a way that there's no cultural criticism and I mean writers I have a lot of writer friends and they're they're screwed like no one reads any like they have no power and like also like anything that, that anybody posts on Facebook is just as important as there's no hierarchy of news I see what you're saying okay. so like but I think it's really important, and I think for me, like probably the most important thing about music is the writing or the critics, the critics, and the, you know. The, so I think American dance music has always been lost because it doesn't have any context, and mm. nobody really talks about it, and it's not shared in the same way. It's there is a functionality to it, but I guess it's the difference between watching the Padres and the Yankees. Mm. It's like in Europe, it's like people they know like if if we go and DJ in Europe at a small party like people know every single song that you play mm. oh okay. okay and you know in the u.s it's more like kind of an experience it's like oh i'm here and this is nice and it there's some palm trees it's cool or i like the other people here in the environment there's an attractive person like this is a cool <laughs> song i'll dance for a while like but it's not like sounds like our friend drake yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have a guy that pretty much characterizes everything you just said mm -hmm. which yeah. is cool but it's like that's you know that's not the kind of music fan that I am or the people that I'm friends with are. So my approach to, you know, electronic dance music is very much about that. Like I like, I want to know everything about the artists and why they did that and you know, what, what they're thinking about and what they're referencing and stuff like that. So who are the modern EDM acts that you do like? I have a project called Meditation Tunnel. I've Check. heard something about that <laughs> and I'm super curious about it. Check it out. Uh. I like, you know, I shared a studio with this guy, Joe Akeem, for a while, and he was a mentor to me. And I, there's this guy, Super Pitcher, who I think is cool. I mean, there's a lot of really great, I mean, I think in a way, like a lot of the best artists musically now are electronic musicians mm. because people don't, we and me and Tara were talking about this today, but we, you know, the computer is the new Stratocaster. You know, mm. it's like that is the, most important modern instrument is computer. That's why bands don't exist mm -hmm. because you got to cram your band into your laptop and it's like hard to do. Why don't you just, because that the instrument is the laptop. For sure. Yeah. Does Meditation Tunnel ever play out? Like, can you tell I did me a DJ it? set with, on, at Goodroom on Friday. 
Oh, Where were we? Yeah. Oh, I, I was at the. So uh, next that's why I know where I was. I was yeah, at right. right. Yeah. But God, if I had known. Yeah. Next time. Good okay. Okay. Good I'll, I'll keep up on that. Yeah. Like no. So, uh, so you did a, a set at, at Good Room, and is it is it just you that's in this project? I mean, I'm just like playing the music that I made and other okay. things that, like you know, I don't I don't particularly like electronic music performances that I've seen. I'm usually okay. really bored. Like, are you, I can't even tell what they're doing. It's like, there's somebody just like, there's some flashing lights and they're like doing this. And it's like, I don't know what you're doing. You know what would be interesting is if it was, uh, and you know, this is just me just throwing things at the wall again. But uh, I always see on my Instagram, all of these sort of like, uh, new like museum they call them museums but they're not really they're more like these sort of experiences like um, you know space. what I'm talking like zero space and that kind of thing where um, I don't know how to explain it it's like you walk in and it's this visual experience and there's all these weird rooms and this sort of thing and stuff to climb on it'd be really interesting to see like a collaboration between one of these sort of like uh, bizarre spaces and like music like that do you know what I mean to make a little bit more of it I, don't I think know. it's called Burning Man <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, it's just like it's such a production to get out it there. Really it is. It really, yeah. <laughs> We've been trying to sort of uh, get around to these sort of like smaller venues that we haven't. Like we just went to um, what was it called? Venus, Venus and Furs. Oh, that's a weird one. Oh, I know that one. Is that cool? Uh, that's in Bed Stuy. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's like this multi-level thing. They got some pool tables uh in in the basement. It's pretty interesting. Have you ever been to the dance? Uh, my friend Billy's club. If Billy opened uh, Baby's Alright and that's his new club. The dance is his club? Yeah. I love that space so yeah, much. It's so well yet, done. He's been trying to get us to play there, so I'm going to go there. Oh my god, yeah, we would love to see Did that. Did you ever go to Elvis Guest House? No. That was his other, he had this club in the Lower East Side that you would have loved. It was like really small. They had music performances sometimes. Oh man, so you're telling me something that doesn't exist anymore it that I would have loved? Exist, but it was really cool. Something, something, but New York is a break my heart. It's an idea. Mm. You, no, you're no, no. <laughs> I mean, if you want your heart to break, it's cool. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? That's actually a good point. Maybe sometimes they do. I don't know. Was there uh, anything Fair else that, that you? Sometimes it, no. It's like sometimes it's inspiring yeah, to have no. my heart broken a little I feel bit. You. And it also it's a motivator. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna let that happen again. Yeah, you want to feel some stuff. And then it yeah. oftentimes does happen again. But yeah. you know. I do what I can. Did you have anything else that you wanted to ask, James? Like, am sure. I missing anything? Well, so it's got to be asked. And I know you, you get asked this all the time. What kind of music are you working on right now? Is The Rapture working on new music? Um, I know you have other side projects. Are you working on with Rapture, them? I really want Rapture to do some stuff. I have a solo record coming out in May 15th. Cool. Okay. And... We're gonna play. We're gonna open for the Rapture in March mm. in LA. Wow. Okay. So, so that's what you're working on right now. So, my question, my only, the, like, something that I was curious in your writing process now, um, is there anything new that influences your writing process that maybe wasn't influencing you 15 or 20 years ago? I mean, being a dad and being, I'm just like super into being married, mm. and also my extended family. Like, I started writing every day on Facebook. Like, it just posts. I follow you on there, yeah. You know, and I figured out that my everybody I grew up with in high school and every all of my family members read it. Mm. So I've been super into that because then I can say whatever I want and they'll, like, they'll read it. Mm. So that's, like, super entertaining. That's cool. So I'm into that. Yeah. Wait, so do you get positive reactions to things that you're writing from the family? Like, a lot of times, like, they'll just be, like, uh, you know, like two months ago when you're talking about your mom or like there'll be like they 
it's really cute. Like I went to softball the other day and there was this guy there and he like was crying and he was like, I really love what you write and I feel super moved by it. And I was just like, okay, cool. Like it was really, it's super interesting to, I think that's one of the things about being a musician or a writer in any way. It's like, you have no idea who you're affecting or, mm. and sometimes, I mean, most of the people that really moved me, like I'm never gonna play softball with them or talk to them. So I don't know, it's it's a really interesting time. Or just having how I met you guys, like be in the era where someone can just be like, hey, do you wanna talk to us? And just uh, like, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you were also nice enough to actually respond, which yeah. which was very yeah. kind. Um, on that, I had, I had a, oh, so with those Facebook posts, I was always kind of curious because uh, I have started to follow you ever since that last show in December. Um, is that stream of conscience or is that something you really kind of put some time into thinking before you post uh one or the other i mean gen- sometimes that's just kind of how my brain works like mm. so I, I generally have too much to say and really drain people mm. so i love doing this and like you know i really like talking and most people it just they can't they don't you know most people don't like to talk or they can't keep up with it or it doesn't i just drain people so i'm like super happy to have music and writing or my friend tara to talk to like there's very few people that can that don't want me to shut up at some point (laughs) so writing's like a really healthy thing for me to do because it gives me another place to put all this stuff that i have Cool. Do you have anything else that you wanted to ask specifically? This would be a joke when you can cut it later. Do you know the guys from Ratatat and can you please tell them to tour again? I'm totally on. Just send me a list of everybody that you want to either interview, <laughs> tour, where you want them to be at, and I'll work on it. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> we have this. Okay, that's recorded now. That's that's <laughs> legally binding. Yes, it's on the record. As a legally binding contract. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, you know what? I think we, like, picked the hell out of your brain. Okay. And uh, we really appreciate you coming by. Gotcha. Uh, Tara, thank you so much also for coming by. Yeah. And uh, that's another wrap. Thank right, you. Cool. Wow. I mean, I really hope you guys enjoyed that because I, I think I can speak for both of us and say that this was easily the coolest thing that either of us have done in relation to this podcast. And frankly, if this goes nowhere, uh, you know, having done this interview has made this all worth it. And thanks so much to Luke Jenner, uh, who took the time and was nice enough to just sit with a bunch of a uh, couple fans and, and just chat with them. Also, a special shout out to Tara of Tandon Jump, who hung out with us and even took pictures of us at the end of it all. Thanks, girl. You're the best. Uh, hope to see you soon. But uh, uh, with all that, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and look for us on Reddit at High Decibels Pod for clips, picks, discussions, and more. Also, like, follow, or subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. And if you could like and rate and even comment on the platforms, specifically Apple Podcasts, that would be a huge help for Apple Podcasts, especially if you we get a couple comments, a couple rates, then we can start seeing stats and everything like that. Uh, so it would be tremendously helpful to what we're doing here. Um, and also listen if you could send this to some friends that might like the band or might like music like that any family members that you know that are into this kind of thing that would be a huge help some word of mouth will go a real long way to uh, helping us expand this a little bit maybe get a couple more listeners we thank you so much for listening to this most recent episode of High Decibels Podcast and if you like this episode let us know because we'd love to do more interviews like this and we'll definitely track them down if uh, people want to hear it Let us know your thoughts. Bye.